0: Good worship this morning. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. There's, there's been times where I hear this and I don't hear this, but this morning I heard a lot of this. Did you hear that? Good stuff. Keep singing. Keep singing. Keep worshiping. It's good. It's good. It's powerful, and I know God loves it. Hey, I want to tell you about something. Um, as you are turning in your Bibles to Matthew one, I want to tell you about something that's coming up. We've several things that. Uh, Paul will be talking about at the end of the service, but I want to tell you about something coming up January the 5th. We are starting a brand new series on January 5th called Rescue Mission, and um, I don't know how many of you saw, matter of fact, let me ask you, how many of you saw the Billy Graham video, 30 minutes long, called My Hope America? How many of you saw that? Okay. I saw that several weeks ago, and, and I was so impacted by that talk on the cross not only was it, it was powerful. I mean, and then Lecrae's testimony, and there was a girl in there, her, uh, lead singer of Flyleaf, her testimony as well. And uh, as I was watching this, I thought we need to show this to our church, and we need to encourage our church people to bring their lost friends to to see this because this is powerful. And then I showed it to my son Taylor, who uh, come home from, had come home from college, and he said, "Dad, that's powerful." And so I thought, if we're going to do a series called Rescue Mission, then rescue starts where it starts at the cross. And I can't think of someone better to, to, to talk about the cross than Billy Graham. And I saw yesterday that uh, the family's asking for prayer for Billy Graham as he's uh, nearing the end of his, his life. But um, so what we're going to do, and I want, you to, I want you to get this with me, okay? Because you're involved in this. This is, this, is, this is us together. On January 5th, to start off this series, we're going to have a huge screen up here on the stage. We'll have our band. We'll have our worship time. It'll be awesome. But then we're going to show that 30-minute... Um, talk by Billy Graham, um, My Hope America, about the cross. I mean, I can't preach better than Billy Graham. I'm sorry, okay? And uh, even at 95, sitting in a chair, that man, he just he just lays it out so clearly. And we're going to start this whole series off with a talk on the cross, and then we're going to have a good old-fashioned stand-up-and-come-down-forward salvation moment at the end of the service, all right? We're going to get our baptist on a little bit, all right, for all of you who are Maybe a little bit Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever, okay? You'll just have to bear with us. But um, So we're going to have a just as I am come forward, receive Jesus. So what does that mean? It means bring your friends. That January 5th, we want you to bring your friends next weekend. It's Christmas Eve, and people will come with you to church on Christmas. Christmas and Easter, CEOs, Christmas and Easter only. All right? But listen, we, wanna, we want you to get them in January 5th. And we're going to, again, we're going to have a huge screen. We're going to show this. Um, and we think it's going to be a great opportunity to see people come to Christ. So you'll be thinking and praying about not only who you're going to bring to Christmas, but also who you're going to have with you here to watch that with us on January 5th. All right, to start off our Rescue Mission series talking about the cross. Well, this, over the last few weeks, we have been in a series studying the genealogy of Jesus. It's called Christmas Dynasty, and it's all about grace. And we started off the first week talking about Judah who was a man who sold his brother, actually threw his brother into a pit, to left him there to die, and then ended up selling his brother into slavery. And his brother ended up being sold uh, into slavery into Potiphar's house and, and, uh, in Egypt. And it's such a great story in Genesis, and you can read that. But last week, we looked at one of the, one of the, uh, the life of someone who I think most people in the world would, would look at, a, at as a very unlikely candidate to be in the genealogy of Jesus, maybe even an unlikely candidate for, for God's grace. We looked at the life of the prostitute Rahab, who, she's part of the genealogy of Jesus, but she was a recipient of God's saving grace, God's unmerited favor, and an example, a wonderful example of, of how God uses messed up people in need of grace to accomplish his will. And we said last week, uh, we used a Tony Evans quote, that God's grace, grace means that all that we are and everything that we have is given to you because God chose to give it to you, not because you deserve it. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited, grace is unearned, grace is undeserved. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, I think sums it up so well. It says, for by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one May boast That's God's saving grace. Now, oftentimes we look at grace as a whole, and we see God's grace as a weakness. It's too weak to rescue me, or it's too weak to transform my life. And even though we see story after story after story, and we talked about that last week, of, of God's transforming grace, God's saving grace throughout the Bible, we have this idea that it's not enough for us, or it's not enough for for what i 'm going through at this moment it 's not enough for this situation that i'm find, finding myself in right now. Well, I want to say something to you so that you get the whole picture of grace all right Grace is power grace is power not only is grace god 's unmerited favor for those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, and, and not only does grace allow God to, to extend His grace to messed up people so that they can accomplish his will, but listen god 's grace grace is god 's empowering presence. In our lives given to us to accomplish his will. Grace is God's empowering presence in our lives given to us to accomplish his will. I love what James Ryle, how he defines it. He says, grace is the empowering presence of God enabling you to be who he, who he created you to be and to do what he's called you to do. God's grace empowers us to live beyond our natural ability. Now I want you to imagine this scenario with me for just a moment. Imagine that you're a young man, about 17, 18, 19 years old, and you've lived in this very small town most of your life, all of your life, and you've known this, this little girl a few years younger than you, now she's about 13, 14 years old, but you've grown up with her, you've watched her grow up, you've been in the same town, you may have gone to the same little school or played in the same little play areas, and over the years, you, as you've watched her grow up and to be a beautiful young lady, you, you kind of develop a crush on her. And then all of a sudden, you, you just decide, I think I really like her. You know, I, I like this girl. And, and then one day, all of a sudden, your like turns into love, and, and you begin to pursue her. And, and one day, you decide, you know what? I, I think I want to marry this girl. And you go to her dad, and, and you create an agreement. You ask for her hand, and you create an agreement between, between not only you, but, but your family and her family. And, and all of a sudden, you, you become engaged. And then one day, she comes to you, and she says, um, I'm pregnant. And you're shocked because you realize you had nothing to do with this. And you live in a Jewish culture where that kind of situation is grounds for death, death the death penalty. And you're listening to her explain the fact that, that, that she didn't have sexual relations with anyone else. This is God's baby inside of her. Yeah, right. I mean, you're just a young man. 18, 19 years old, trying to figure this out, trying to sort this through in your mind, trying to figure out how in the world do I, what do I do with this young girl that I love desperately, but is telling me this crazy story of how God somehow or another has placed a baby inside of her. And you're just going, how is this going to play? I mean, listen, we get to the end of the genealogy of Jesus and you find the man behind that scenario, you find Joseph. Now, we don't know a ton about Joseph, but we do know he was a carpenter by trade. We know that he was from Nazareth. We know that he was a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, Solomon. We know that he had a tremendous love for Mary, but, but what kind of man was he? What kind of, what kind of guy was this? What, what kind of father was he to Jesus? I mean, and, and how did he need God's empowering grace? I think as you look over the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus, you find a man that may have needed God's empowering grace more than anyone else in the whole lineage, in the whole dynasty. Beyond the fact that he was a direct descendant of Jewish royalty, I believe that, that there was a great reason that God chose this seemingly quiet man to be the stepfather of Jesus. And I think this morning, his story and his tremendous journey is going to be an encouragement to all of us. And I, and I believe it's going to be a model to show us the kind of person and the kind of man and, and even the kind of woman that God wants us to be during this Christmas season. Now, how did God's grace empower Joseph to accomplish God's will? Well, first of all, God's grace empowered him to work through the confusion of Mary's pregnancy. We read through the genealogy of Jesus, which we've done the last two weeks, and we get into verse 18, and it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, again, let me explain. Joseph and Mary were legally espoused to each other. In other words, they were engaged. But this was more than an engagement. During this time of espousal, the parents would come together and they would would arrange an actual contract of marriage where a groom's father would pay the bride's father a dowry or an amount of money that would provide somewhat of an insurance should a groom become dissatisfied and want to divorce her. And although there was an espousal... Uh, was uh, the spousal was a legal contract the couple had to wait a year okay until the official wedding ceremony before they could have sexual relations The, the spousal period was a time of testing it was a time for the couple to prove their fidelity and and their devotion to one another so you you can imagine the problem that existed when it appeared that mary had violated that trust and had become pregnant it threw joseph into a great dilemma imagine the con- the conversation that took place between mary and joseph the, the 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 doubt that joseph must have had towards mary's story and 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 all of a sudden the, the overwhelming feeling of, of realizing on Joseph's part what this meant for Mary and what it was going to mean for his family. And not only that, for Mary's family, I mean, because sexual unfaithfulness during an engagement period was considered adultery under Mosaic law. It carried with it the death penalty by stoning. And this, is a, this is a young lady that Joseph loves. He's grown up, they've grown up together in the same town. So what do you do? How do you handle a situation like this? Well, God's grace empowered Joseph to be filled with compassion towards Mary. In verse 19, it says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph was not about to have Mary stoned to death. I mean, he loved her way too much, but he obviously doubted her story. So he decided that he would end his commitment to her by privately divorcing her. Even when... It appeared that she was unfaithful to him. Joseph still had a ton of compassion for Mary. Rather than expose her to public shame and disgrace, Joseph decides to, the Bible says, divorce her privately. Now, to me, that says a whole lot about what kind of man this this Joseph was. This whole incident was, was probably going to be a very embarrassing moment for Joseph. I mean, think about what, what people had to be thinking about Joseph as well. I mean, all of his, his buddies would know that this, this, either this girl had cheated on him and, 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 gotten, and, and gotten pregnant, or they would be thinking, yeah, Joseph, come on, we know, we know what you did here, pal. Or they, would, they, they were going to laugh at this seemingly ridiculous story of, of who Mary was claiming that the father of this baby was. And I would imagine Joseph was, was hating what was going on. I mean, this was about as big of a shot to Joseph's pride as you could possibly take, especially during this time period. I mean, guys, put yourself for just a moment in Joseph's shoes. Most guys, I mean, probably would have told Mary to hit the road or they would have ordered her to be stoned. I mean, Joseph at this moment had every opportunity and, and by Mosaic law, the right to completely clear his name from ever even knowing Mary. But God's grace empowered him to have compassion over the situation. He decided to handle things differently, to handle them gracefully and handle them quietly. And I look at this and I go, what an incredible picture of the love that Christ has for us. This grace that we don't deserve, this empowering grace Grace that he extends to us. What, what, a, what a picture of, of how God's love weds his justice and mercy together. I mean, Joseph showed mercy to a woman that didn't, didn't, didn't seem to deserve it. And yet God, with the same attitude, shows us mercy every day when in reality none of us, none of us deserve God's grace. Well, the story takes a little bit of a twist. Because just as Joseph settles in his heart that he is going to divorce Mary, I mean, story over, relationship ended, chapter of his life closed, God shows up. And God's grace empowers him to stay committed to Mary. We see in verse 20, it says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, For he will save his people from their sins. And it says all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, which said, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then when Joseph woke up from from sleep, uh, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife. Now, as a result of the dream, Joseph changes his plans, and he decides not to quietly divorce her, but to quietly marry her. Now, again, think for a moment about the conversations that must have taken place between Joseph and his family and Joseph's and his buddies i mean i mean Joseph i mean Joseph my son think of think of the family reputation Joseph you realize you come from the dynasty the the, the lineage of the of, you're a descendant of of king david israel's greatest king Joseph are you really w- willing to raise someone else's child in the midst of all of this public You know, embarrassment and the things that will be said about you. And how about Joseph's friend? Dude, seriously, enough with the whole angel dream thing. My brother, come on. Let's move on. There are more girls in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town. And I'm sure there was quite a bit of talk going around town. And I'm sure the gossip mill would have been very busy talking about the story. Even before the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, he had already decided not to put... Put, put Mary to shame and not to embarrass her, but to handle the situation quietly. You know, a little, little side note here. One, one of the, the problems that I see and, and I hear about from time to time is how, you know, husbands at times will put their wives down, embarrass them publicly by little shots that they'll take in a small group or in a conversation, a little jab that they'll take to try to get their friends to laugh or this and that. And we look at Joseph, we look at the example of Joseph, and we realize this was nowhere on Joseph's radar There's no way he's going to handle this situation. He extends grace to Mary by handling this matter privately, and I think this is a great example for all of us who are husbands, or even those of you who are wives, of how we need to show grace to one another, or certainly our spouse. We need to we need to respect our spouses both privately and publicly. When we when we respect each other in public, you know what it is? It's a sign of maturity, and it's a sign of intimacy. And especially as we get into this Christmas season, it's a, it's a remembrance as well that don't allow anybody in your family to disrespect your spouse either. And so regardless of what anyone thought of Mary or what they may have said about Mary, God's grace, what did it do? It empowered him to stay committed to her. Joseph decided, I'm going to be all in when it comes to Mary. When it comes to, uh, when it comes to this baby, I'm going to be all in. So rather than continuing to wait out this year-long period of espousal, Um, you know, with with Mary being pregnant, Joseph blows off all of the Jewish customs, and he marries her right away. More than anything else, he was more concerned about Mary's well-being and the well-being of this unborn child than he was his own. You say, how is that? Well, his life was marked by a commitment to God. He was obedient to what God had asked him to do, and it cost him no big wedding, Plenty of gossip, plenty of embarrassment, possible disgrace to his family and to his friend. No, no year-long uh, period to, to prepare for a bride, to be living in his home. I mean, he now has a pregnant wife carrying a child that is not his. And we find God's grace empowered him to live a life of consistency towards God. Look at verse 25. But he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's amazing and interesting, it says he knew, he knew her not, all right? Out of respect to Mary and to God, Joseph chose not to have sexual relations with Mary until after the baby was born. I want to I give you just a picture of how Joseph's life was marked with consistency. I mean, from little, the little that we do know about him, he was a very caring husband to Mary. He was, was a great father to his and Mary's other children and, and a wonderful stepfather to Jesus, At the the birth of Jesus in Luke's account, you find Joseph, this loving new father at his wife's side as she gives birth. I mean, this was not normal because a man normally was not present back at this time during a time when a a woman would give birth. And Joseph was there. In Matthew 2, you find him being a very protective father, fleeing from Bethlehem with his young family to escape the, the threats of King Herod. In Luke and Matthew, you find a man who chose to be very in tune to the voice of God and chose to be led by him. In Luke 2, you find a godly man who brings his wife and his child into the temple so that Jesus could be dedicated to the Lord. We also learn that Joseph did everything he could to teach Jesus the laws of the Lord. We find him being a very responsible father. Joseph taught Jesus a trade. In Matthew chapter 13, we find out that Joseph was a carpenter. And in Mark chapter 6, we see that Joseph, or Jesus, was also what? A carpenter. And they obviously spent hours together in a carpenter's shop. And although we assume that Joseph must have Died before Jesus turned 33 and went to the cross. It's obvious from the small amount of information that we do have about Joseph that that he was an ideal stepfather. He obviously loved Jesus like his own flesh and blood, and he did everything within his power to be a good role model to the Son of God. He was a special man whose life was, was characterized by consistency. So you look at this man's life and his example. And you ask yourself the question, how, how can God's grace empower me to live beyond my natural ability? How can I have that same kind of grace that we see that was given to Joseph to empower him to live beyond his natural ability? Well, first of all, listen, God's grace can empower us to work through difficult, confusing situations. Listen, I think of the, the, the last year of this church, and I think about how last September, a year ago, we lost one of our staff members, a 46 year old lady, mother of three kids, in the middle of the night. And last year, during the same season, the Christmas season, we were in a totally different frame of mind. We had just lost our worship pastor who had been killed in a cycling accident. And I remember telling our staff, we're just gonna, we just got to get through this. Thanksgiving, hope for Christmas, Christmas Eve, the end of the year. Let's just do every. We're in survival mode here. Let's just just rest in God's grace and let's let Him empower us to get us through this time. And then we get down to the end of the uh, into May, and and uh, our preschool director for twelve thirteen years, her her daughter young daughter dies at college of an asthma attack, and. And we got people sending letters from all over the country. We've never seen anything like this. We have no idea how you're making it through this. No idea how, you know, what this is all about. And yet we look back and what we see? We see God's empowering grace carrying us just to accomplish His will. We have a young girl in our church right now who's a middle school girl at Lost Mountain Middle School, Maddie Harris, who has, they just found out before Thanksgiving that her, she has cancer in her leg. And she's in the hospital right now having ports put in so that she can go through chemotherapy over the next nine months. And we need to be praying for Maddie and her family. And you look and you go, how do do people make it through moments like that? It's just simply God's empowering grace. That he gives us at moments like this to, to help us to, to make it through. And you may have something in your life right now that doesn't make any sense to you at all. You can't make heads or tails of what's going on. And quite honestly, you may be, maybe you're even having a hard time finding God in the midst of all of it. And as much as we may not like it, listen, God allows us and he allows things like this to come into our lives, to build us up and to refine us, to become more like him, to become better people, to become more usable to him here on this earth. God gives us his empowering grace to empower us, to do his will, to accomplish his will here on this earth. I mentioned last week, but it's worth repeating again the Apostle Paul, when you, you get into 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and we find him wrestling with some ailment, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. In the Bible, it was real, not, not real clear about what it is, but Paul makes it clear I, Satan, I received this from Satan, a thorn in the flesh. And he says, I begged God three times to take it away, and he didn't do it. Instead, Here's how God responded to me. He said, "My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness." And I love Paul's response. He says, "Therefore, God, if you're not going to take it away, God, if you're going to let me go through this, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ might rest upon me." I love what Max Lucado says. He says, "Grace doesn't promise the absence of struggle, but the presence of God." Grace doesn't promise the absence of struggle but the presence of God. The second thing is God's grace can empower us to be compassionate towards those who hurt us. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, but he gives, listen to this, more grace. He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When we find ourselves in a difficult, confusing situation, or we find ourselves in a moment where someone is hurting us, or we find ourselves in a moment where we've been misunderstood, or someone is attacking us, You know what we need? We need need, need grace, don't we? We desperately need grace. We need it for ourselves, but we need it for others so we don't knock their block off. And where do we find God's grace to be compassionate towards those that hurt us? We find it through humility. James says, humble yourselves. You're like, what? What? That's counterintuitive to everything that I feel inside of me and what I want to do at a moment when someone misunderstands me, someone is attacking me, someone is hurting me. But what happens when we humble ourselves? James says God gives us more grace. Not just grace, but he gives us more grace. And too often, what do do we do when we find ourselves in hurtful situations? What do we do when we find ourselves being attacked? Let me tell you what we do. Get me to Facebook quickly. I got something I need to say. Where's my Twitter? All right? I've got some things I need to tweet. I have a picture I want to put on Instagram right now to show how I feel. I mean, that's what we do. Our natural instinct is to go and to get that person back, to retaliate, to attack them, to tell them a piece of our mind. We, I mean, something for you. We respond in what? pride. And James says, God opposes the proud. Here's what I want in the midst of difficult, confusing circumstances. Here's what I want when I feel misunderstood. Here's what I want when people are attacking me. I want God's presence. I want God's empowering grace. And yet when I respond to my situation with pride, I get neither. I actually end up with God opposing me Think about this for a moment. The hand of the God of the universe at a moment when you need him most opposing you. Ouch. But when I respond with humility, when, we all re- when you choose to respond with humility, what do we do? We get, we get God's presence and his empowering grace. And we desperately need that. I need it for myself to make it through whatever is happening. But I also need it so that I can extend grace to other people. Even if they, we, we don't feel like they deserve it. And then... God's grace can empower us to stay committed to our families. Now, listen, I, I don't know how this scenario played out in their home, but it had to be a very delicate situation, Joseph attempting to teach the laws of God to the one who wrote the laws of God. I mean, think about this. Dad, you messed up. When I wrote that, here's what I, here's what I meant. I'm sorry, Jesus. I, you know, trying just trying to get it in your mind, son. You know, but God knew exactly what he was doing. And I believe he put his, his, his one and only son in a home with a man who knew that he would be compassionate towards his son. Because remember, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And he put him in a home with a man who would protect him and love him because he, he was a boy, he was a baby in, in Joseph's home. He, he, he put him in a home that, with somebody that would, would actually stay with him and provide for his earthly essentials. He put, he put Jesus under the care of a committed man. He knew that Joseph would be a, a good and faithful husband. He knew that he would be committed to have Joseph growing up around the temple. He knew Joseph would be committed to teach Jesus how to make a living for himself and how to, how to stand up for himself and how to be a man in, in a tough world. Now, in Jewish custom, a boy becomes a man at the age of, what, 13? 13. And God thought it was important to place his young son, his only son, with a man that he could, that Jesus could count on when he was a child. We know that Joseph was in Jesus' life until at least the age of 12. Because when we get into Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus, and we see Joseph and Mary coming into the temple together. And it says, and Jesus increased. We see him growing because of this. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man and such a great example for us to stay committed to our families, to stay in there when it gets very tough, when we feel like bailing, when we don't know what to do, when somebody has messed up or, you know, our family's shaking. I hear this all the time. Somebody who meets someone else and they bail on their family, they bail on their kids, and they, listen, we need God. I don't care what your situation is. God's empowering grace allows us, empowers us to stay committed to our families committed to our kids even when they're going wayward committed to to our friends that, that we might be struggling with and then God's grace can empower us to stay consistent in our walk with Christ. Titus 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we, listen, we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Verse 14, now, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us, his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Paul says to Titus, he says, listen, we've been instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Now, how do we, how do, we do this in a world that is constantly pulling us away from God, constantly pulling us towards godless living and sinful pleasures? Look at, verse, look at verse 14 again. It says, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us, his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that, that we can be consistent in our walk with Christ because we're no longer slaves to sin. Because of the death of Jesus, we've been set free. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that we're not going to sin because we're still wrestling with the flesh. We're still being pulled in by this world that's out here. But it does mean that we're no longer under the control of sin's power. And I love what Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says. It says, sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer, you you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's what? Of God, say it with me, God's grace. Listen, you're not just a recipient of God's unmerited favor. If you've received God's saving grace, you're not just the recipient of God's unmerited favor, but you are the beneficiary of God's empowering grace. And because of that, you've been empowered to work through difficult, confusing situations. You have the power in your life to be compassionate towards those who hurt you. And you have the power in your life to stay committed to your family, to stay committed to your marriage, to stay committed to your kids. And you've been empowered by grace to stay consistent in your walk with Christ. I love this. Saving grace on one side. God's empowering grace over here. What a beautiful picture of the whole thing. And we see people throughout the Bible experiencing God's saving grace, being empowered by God's empowering grace to both what? To accomplish his will. That's what we've been given. And I love this picture of grace. And that's the kind of, because we've received this kind of grace, we can extend that kind of grace. Not saving grace, but we can extend grace to other people who need it desperately. Only God can extend saving grace. And for some of you this morning, that's the kind of grace that you need. You need to receive at this very moment a grace that you do not deserve, but that can be received by faith. Putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your personal Savior. You need salvation. Salvation from this life and all the troubles in this life, salvation from an eternity with, without God, and salvation from your sin, and salvation from being spiritually dead. Listen, we don't, the world doesn't have a sin problem, they have a dead problem. And some of you in this room, you may find yourself at this moment where you're realizing, I need forgiveness. I need salvation. I need to be freed up from sin, I need, but I need to be made spiritually alive. And God extends that kind of grace to you, totally undeserved, and you can receive it as a free gift through faith. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. If that's who you are, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, I want to extend God's offer to you and just pray with me at this moment. Just say, Lord, at this very moment, I, Lord, by grace through faith, I receive your salvation. And Lord, I want you to know, Lord, I am sorry for my sins. I'm sorry that I have turned my back on you. I'm sorry that I've rejected you, Lord. And at this very moment, Lord, I repent of that and I ask you to be my Savior. I receive your free gift of salvation and I ask you, Lord, to be the Lord of my life. And I realize, Lord, there's nothing I can do to earn this. It's totally undeserved. It's unmerited. But, Lord, I receive it. And I pray that you'll show me what to do next. Father, thank you. You just prayed that prayer with me with head still bowed for just a moment. I want you to take out your connection, Get Connected card. Fill it out. Give us your information. Check on there. This morning, I pray to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. Take it to the Help Center out in the atrium because we want to help you to get connected, but also to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For the rest of you I want you to stand just real quietly I don't know about you but every single day I need God's empowering grace in my life I need God's empowering grace to help me through confusing hurtful situations moments where I feel like I've been misunderstood some of you get attacked I've been attacked we need God's empowering grace in our lives, don't we? To get us through, but also to extend grace to those who attack us. We need God's empowering grace that, that, will, that will help us to show compassion towards those people. We need God's empowering grace to stay committed to our commitments, to our families, to our marriages, to our kids. When a world that's out there with a f- more than 50% divorce rate that's pulling us every which way and there's all kinds of temptations, what do we need? We, we need God's empowering grace, and It's there. And we need God's empowering grace to help us to stay consistent in our walk with Christ. And that's available to us every single moment of every single day. Let's thank the Lord for his grace. Father, thank you for that kind of grace. Thank you for your saving grace, but Lord, I thank you for your empowering grace, your strengthening grace that Lord allows us to walk through this life empowered, empowered, to live beyond our own ability. Thank you for this, this complete picture of grace. May we, Lord, truly understand it's not weakness, it's not, Lord. Lord, it's, it's power in our lives, and we thank you for it. So with our heads bowed, Lord, just in a time of worship. Here's what we want to sing to you, Lord. This is a, a time of worship, Lord. I'm going to sing. Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that will pardon that song. All right. How many first time you ever heard it? All right. Now y'all heard it. Let's sing it. Let's sing it as an act of worship to the Lord. Alright, ready? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will Everybody said together, amen. amen. That's good stuff.